All right, this is Brian James O'Connell for the Improv Town podcast, and I'm recording my side of the conversation through the Blue Snow Globe and through Audacity. Cool. Always got a label, right, brother? Yeah. Yeah, you want to do like a, want to try to do like a count to count to five or something like a you know, count in one voice so I can make it easy to sync it up. Oh, I got you. You want a little countdown? Yeah. So little... You want to say what? Yeah. So five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. That's what you're looking for? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Perfect idea. Great. All right. On uh, on three. That one, two, three, five, four, four, three, three two, two, one. one. Oh man, we gotta do that again. <laughs> All right, you start this time. All right. One, one two, two, three, five, five, four, four three, three, two. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get this. It's like an improv game. Yeah. All right. It's like just speaking one voice, right? How about this? Let me let me start, and you can just. Let me start five, four, so you can get the rhythm, and you just come in on the three. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Five, four, three, three two, two, one. one. All right, good. <laughs> that did not work at all. Did not work at all. No, that one worked. Okay. I think that one was. I think that one was good. Cool. Hey everybody, welcome back to Improv Town. I am Clayton Mashad, and in this episode I get to interview one of my favorite improvisers about one of my favorite improv topics. So I'm going to be talking to Brian James O'Connell, who's one of the co-founders of the Pack Theater in Los Angeles with Miles Stroth. He's been studying with Miles for decades. If you don't know who Miles Stroth is, well then go look him up, because he's probably my favorite improv theorist, along with Dave Rosowski. Uh, also, let's see, we talk about position play. So position play is this idea that there are basically, uh, four types of scene dynamics and that 99.9999% of the time you're going to find yourself in a scene with one of those four dynamics. So if you know how those dynamics play out and how those scenes work, then it's easier to know your position in that scene. If you want to check out more Brian James O'Connell, you can, uh, done some other podcast interviews. You can also check out his new movie, Bloodsucking Bastards where he plays the uh, mailroom boy. <laughs> I don't know why I started with that credit. He's uh, the director of Bloodsucking Bastards, also the co-writer. And that is uh, an action comedy available on Amazon Prime. You can also check him out in Dr. God, his sketch troupe. And they perform at the Pack Theater in Los Angeles on the fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. All right, enjoy. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? <laughs> All right, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for agreeing to do this and being so enthusiastic no problem. about it. No, yeah, no problem, man. I, uh, I love talking shop. Also, I have to uh, apologize a little ahead of time. I did wake up sick this morning, so if I have to take a second away from the microphone to sneeze like I've been doing every eight minutes since I woke up, <laughs> it's 7 a.m. I apologize uh, in advance. Uh, no problem, no problem. Yeah, all right, cool. So uh, let's let's get started, I guess. So usually I start the episodes with kind of the... Uh, the origin story. So you wanted to start by talking about how you kind of got into improv and then how you ended up you know, where you are now. Yeah, totally. So yeah, uh, I was born and raised in a small town uh, by the name of High Point, North Carolina, but my entire family is from Chicago. My dad's from the South side. My mom's from Ottawa, Illinois, but they met on the North side uh, when she was studying at St. Joe's hospital, become a radiological technologist. So even though there was all those summer vacations and family reunions, no one ever once said, hey, Brian likes comedy. Let's take him to a Second City <laughs> show. So uh, I, when I moved out to Los Angeles after I graduated from film school, I was just kind of kicking around. Um, and then eventually I stumbled upon I.O. West, uh, a girl that I had gone to college with and dated, uh, Rebecca Brown at the time. Now Rebecca Zanaski. And she was like, do you want to come see my improv show and i said sure when is it she said it's sunday night at 11 i was like well i don't have hbo so i'm not gonna be watching <laughs> the sopranos or six feet under so yeah i'll come and that the name of that group was tiger pants and they just happened to have the greatest show they had ever done to the point where i was watching i was like what is this i i, I want to do this <laughs> i have to find out how to do this and the house manager who was doing uh the intros and outros said like you know we have classes here and i was like oh shit i can take classes to do this awesome so I ran downstairs to the box office. And I was like, you have, I heard classes. You do classes here. And they're like, oh, we just started a session. It's like two weeks in. Uh, but the next one starts in March. So if you call the office tomorrow, the office opens at noon. So I called at 1201. 
and I said, show up and take my money. <laughs> uh, that yeah, so that was that show I saw was January nineteenth of two thousand three, and then I was in class on March first of two thousand three, and then I just found my brand. I never left. It was the exact type of improv that spoke to me, you know, more relationship based, uh, a larger piece telling a story. Uh, and then once I started doing my research and realizing that all this stuff had been invented in Chicago, I was really pissed off at all my cousins. <laughs> right. I was like, you sons of bitches. Like, I could have been doing this. Because I didn't find long-form improv until I was 27. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so associated now, sort of like nationally, and I guess internationally, uh, with improv that a lot, of few, a lot of people don't know that. Like, I start off as a sketch guy. Like, uh, I've been doing sketch for about 10 to 12 years before I ever discovered improv. And oh, I, I really? Stand -up. Yeah, I did stand-up when I was in high school and all that. So that's sort of the origin story, and I went straight through. I paid for my first class. But then they were uh, they were looking for you know interns, and uh, they needed a physical plant intern, someone to like hang stuff and paint sets and build flats on that. I'm like, I'm from the furniture capital of the world. Like, I'll, I'll I can build anything. <laughs> uh, I'm not a I'm not a contractor by any stretch of the imagination. But like, no one I knew that growing up didn't do some sort of physical manual labor that kind of stuff. So I didn't pay for classes. I think until after, yeah, I paid for my first class and then I interned the rest of the way. I went straight through classes. Um, I found a really good group of people in, at level two that we all sort of kind of bonded and we made sure that we took classes together. I was, that was sort of my first cage match team. And then, uh, then we all met Miles Stroth, uh, my mentor in yeah. level five back then. And, uh, and then that was it. He was, um, he was teaching I, at, at IO back then? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Miles is the war chief. He's uh, he's always been really yeah. Really yeah, Sharn is war chief or Dell's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dell's the mojo man. Sharn's the high priestess. Uh, Miles is the war chief. That's uh, that's how Dell laid it out. And so once I I had really really good teachers top to bottom, but when I found Miles within like the first ten minutes of class, I was like, whatever you're selling, I'm buying. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm totally in. Yeah, he's he's great. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. So I was telling that story last night because uh, a team I coached did a show at the clubhouse here in L.A. And we went out afterwards. And I asked the waitress. I was like, you guys have rumple mints here? And then and Nick Haddad was like, you drink rumple mints? Uh, I was like, yeah, a little Miles did. And so now I do. So because after after classes and after rehearsals, Miles would go to the bar at I.O. West and like sit there and drink Bud Light rumple mints. That's all he drinks. He found his brand many years ago. What did, so I, don't I, even, just, I don't even know what this brand is. What What is this brand? Rump Rumplemints is 100 proof peppermint schnapps. Oh, okay, okay. It's, yes, it's a very dangerous Christmas, <laughs> that's how <laughs> I like to call it. And so I would just sit there at the bar, not bother him, not try to like geek out or anything, but just, you know, I'm an Irish Catholic. I've been a bartender for, like for many, many years at that point. Uh, so I knew how to drink. And so I would just sit there and we'd, you know, watch whatever basketball game or sports highlights that were on the TV in the bar. You know, just kind of tip our hats to each other and be like, oh, that's a good dunk, All right? And after about somewhere between round two and round three, Miles would turn to me and go, like, you know what your problem is? And then I would get free coaching. <laughs> uh, and then we, yeah, and then so we sort of just blended and blended. And then uh, the rest, as we say, is history. But that's really sort of my, that's that's my improv superhero origin story. Cool. Yeah, so then, um, yeah, so how long, how long was it, like, from then until like miles started pack or you guys started pack um well miles uh had been teaching when i found him that back then level five you just got miles that was it and it was just the deconstruction he just taught what he wanted and then he was going to uh chicago every summer and teaching the uh chicago uh io in uh, summer intensive uh, i'm getting paid to do that and then he came back, and then at one point, he got very disillusioned and didn't care for other... And then, to be perfectly honest, Sharna was just screwing him over. Uh, I don't want to talk too much out of school, but then he was like, screw it, I'm out of here, uh, I'm going to just start my own thing. And that was the Miles Stroth workshop. That was just him renting out a, a room, a space at the complex where the, uh, the pack currently is, and just teaching whoever would sign up. He'd post about it on Facebook or whatever. Uh, sometimes it was just two people in the class and he was losing money on the deal, but he just kept doing it, you know, keep it open. And then Sharna sort of like talked him back into coming back and teach. He was like, you should come out every time. You should be teaching. He's like, I am teaching. I'm just not teaching for you. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, and yeah, then eventually she made him an offer that he couldn't refuse and he came back and then it took all of one paycheck before she reneged on the deal. Uh, and he was like, Nope, that's it. I'm out forever. Uh, uh, and wow. so, yeah. So slowly, uh, slowly, but surely, 
he was building that up and then he would like he brought me in to teach forms that was in 2009 2011 somewhere in there i can't remember off the top of my head i think i started teaching at io in 2009 i think i started teaching for miles in 2011 uh that sounds about right and back then it was just uh there was just three classes it was me um this uh this other teacher and then miles and you could take any one of us in any order and once you did you had quote unquote graduated and then you were able to start doing shows and we started doing shows by i was actually directing an ios main stage sketch team super kudzu oh my god i love super kudzu so much they were so good just a murderer's row of a sketch team but uh he called me up one night and said uh we need we have enough students now we have enough people that graduate that want to play we should start doing shows um it's gonna be on tuesday nights i'm running out the straight jacket society theater because they don't do anything except on the weekends it'll be our first night of shows here's the four teams and you're gonna be running it and i went uh, all right <laughs> <laughs> The old man says, jump, I say, how high? And, and yeah, what right. color? Yeah, so uh, went to uh, went to the Super Kudzu guys because we rehearsed on Tuesday night from 8 to 10. That was the only time all of us could be together. And I was like, sorry, guys, if it was anyone else but Miles Stroth asking, I would have told them no. Um, so we started doing shows on Tuesday nights, and then it was Monday and Tuesday nights, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday nights because we started adding sketch teams because Eric Moneypenny and Sam Brown and Heather Ann Campbell, who were on the – sketch side of the Milestroth workshop or msw as we called it all those alums started like we want to do shows we want to do shows and then like they're like no you don't understand how much work goes into a sketch show it, you can't do it and then uh denise ojeda uh really pushed pushed for it hard and they were like all right and then at that point there was so much going on and we had so many things that miles finally was like all right we're at Fortnite. we should just take the and the people that the straight jacket society which was a independent uh sketch team that was like a, a, a dues paying sketch team slash theater they left the space to go do something else and so he was like we already have this space four nights of the week the other three nights of the week are open now fuck it we should just take it over seven days a week and so all of us who we refer to ourselves as the founders six of us sat in a room and we said yeah okay let's do it and we worked out sort of the financials and what we thought we need to hit. And like Miles took all like as like what we needed to hit every month because uh, we're a donation based theater. We're all we're a pay what you can theater. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, we yeah, we want to keep it accessible to as many people as possible. We didn't want to have fifteen dollar tickets and all that and trying to hustle it. We wanted to have our people to have the freedom to try things and push and also be proud of their own stuff to promote. Uh, and then, you know, if you support the art, then the art will support you back is kind of the philosophy. But Miles, uh, it was 100% his, 100% all of his money. Uh, he's still currently, if we come up short, he pays it out of his pocket. Uh, a couple other people have been helpful here and there, but um, they wanted to do it anonymously, so I'm not going to out them on a, on a <laughs> podcast. And at that point, uh, Miles felt like, well, there's too many people involved who are working too hard and have too much skin in the game. It's not fair for this place to be named after me anymore. We should come up with a new name. And we tried to talk him out of it. We're like, no, it's Miles Stroth Workshop. It's MSW. It's cool. That's how everyone knows it. But he was adamant about that. Because Miles Stroth is one of the most decent, honest, uh, thoughtful men I've ever met in my life. And that's why I stand for him so hard. He was like, no, it can't be named after me. Too many people are working too hard. So we went through about 250 names. And we finally came down on the pack. Uh, the pack had like a good sort of thing. We, almost, we were almost called the Hammerstone. But we, <laughs> couldn't find, we couldn't find a good graphic for it. I think uh, Hammerstone was a badass name, but we couldn't find a good graphic for it that we all agreed on and liked. So then the pack happened. We we're like, yeah, we're like the pack. Yeah. The pack of hyenas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's got it was, a good, yeah. uh, good like metaphor yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. So in to so that was, we opened, uh, we took over the space 24 seven, seven days a week, July 23rd, 2019, because the, Hollywood Fringe Festival is still going on, so that space was being used for some fringe shows that we couldn't quite, uh, like some extended runs, so we couldn't truly take it over at the beginning of July, so we had to wait. So, yeah, July 23rd, 2016 is when we took over the theater seven days a week and became the PAC Theater. But all told, uh, MSW slash the PAC Theater has been around for over over 10 years now. Cool. Yeah, it's always cool to hear yeah. stories about, uh, about how theaters start. For sure. Yeah, so I wanted to mostly talk about, I think mostly about like position play for yeah. you know the four types of scenes. 
all that stuff. So you want to just, uh, you want to start with like your, you know, your kind of like definition or, or summary of, of position play in the scene types. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Miles did not invent the different scene types. He did invent the language though, for what we call the scene dynamics, what he calls the scene dynamics. Right. And that's why I've on, I've busted his balls for years and years. I'm like, you should have written a book because all this stuff now gets passed around that you invented. And it's like, it's shown up, it's actually shown up in other people's books and they don't accredit him to him. And he gets a little bit out of shape. And I'm like, you can't, you cannot get that out of shape. It, it's like a game of telephone. This stuff gets passed along and then people just think, oh, well, they just came up with this in the committee in San Francisco. The position play has been around for forever. And I'm like, no, it has not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't feel like most yeah. people, uh, like I, I, I'm obsessed with it, and it's like the the improv theory that I think is the most, or you know, way of way of viewing improv that I think is the most interesting. But like, nobody that I like play with would even recognize <laughs> would even recognize the term. I feel like for yeah, for sure. And so the idea, the basic idea behind uh, position play and the scene dynamics, uh, which I have to be very careful to say that I do not believe it's comedy math. I believe it is comedy truth. This is stuff that has been true for hundreds and hundreds of years. Miles has just found the very efficient language to sort of point it out. And then once it's uh, you sort of understand it, I'm not, you know, it's not like a dance where I'm counting it off like one, two, three, one, two, three. It's more of like, oh, this exists. And then I can sort of free myself up from worrying about the million other things that could happen in an improv scene that are not going to happen here or I don't have to concern myself about as much. And so the basic idea behind position play is that 99.999% of the time you're going to find yourself in one of four basic scene types, which is straight absurd, character driven alternate reality realistic that's it and each one of those scenes has two to three at most tools and techniques that you have to use to execute that type of scene everything else is gravy everything else is superfluous everything else is a choice but the stuff you have to do if you're in this type of scene is what makes it work and it's been true for hundreds if not thousands of years Straight absurd is just pure game. The only tool and technique you have to have there is hit, hit, back off, hit. You have to hit the game, you have to hit the game, and then you have to back off the game, a.k.a. rest the game, a.k.a. reload the gun, as uh, Dave Hill from iOS always <laughs> said. And then you uh, you back off in one of two ways. The straight man either apologizes for his uh, – the straight man either buys into the behavior for a second, like, well, wait a minute, when you put it that way. And then the absurd guy goes, yeah, not so crazy, right? And then they hit him with the crazy thing again. And the straight man's like, nope, I'm out. Or the absurd person apologizes for their behavior just for a moment to make it appear as if they have seen the error of their ways, and the straight man completes that bit by going, see, thank you, that's all I was saying, and then the crazy person does something crazy again because they're crazy. And that's sort of the dynamic tension, push and pull. Everything else on top of that, the things that we talk about like relationship and know the other person and all that, that's great if it comes up, but that's not the thing that you need to be focused on if it's a straight absurd scene because it's pure game. That is completely all UCB is. Right. Find yeah, that first right. odd, un- yeah. Find that first odd, unusual thing, and then call it out and establish who's the straight person and who's the absurd person. Then there's character-driven scenes, which are also called two peas in a pod, shared point of view, absurd, absurd. Every theater in the world ter- teaches a version of this scene, and the only tools and techniques you absolutely have to use to make that type of scene successful and work, make the guts and the gears of it work is mirror and heightening. We look the same, we talk the same, we act the same, and then we think the same, and then we heighten. And there's only two ways of heightening. Either both of us are talking about how awful or how awesome something is, or we're both trying to one-up each other. And I usually use the uh, the valet sketch from Key and Peele as an example. Oh my that's God. Clinic. <laughs> that's so funny, because yeah. that's literally the example I use. Like the yeah. like the, the, the Game of Thrones one, like, oh, you see Khaleesi? <laughs> That is that's, yeah. that is the example that I, yeah that when I watched that I was like oh that is the perfect example it's funny that, yeah that's a that's a hundred percent the one that I use in my classes when I teach this like Cal Drago though Big Dave Navarro Cal Drago though Big Dave Navarro Khaleesi 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 right it's all yep, the same yeah yeah that's the only thing you have to do and that's and again when I talk about these are comedy truths instead of comedy mass if you go back far enough the first character driven scenes were the Greek chorus. Nine guys, all dressed the same, wearing the same robes, wearing the same mask, literally all talking at the same time and saying, no, Oedipus, don't have sex with your mother. What about the prophecy? And uh, it would be weird if one of those nine guys took off his mask and was like, I don't know, have sex with her. See what happens, right? (laughs) 
Yeah, the thing wouldn't work unless we are mirrors of each other. And then you get to your alternate reality scenes. And the three tools and techniques you have to use in alternate reality scenes is if this is true, what else is true? Mapping and consistency. That's it. You say, you and yet in straight absurd, you say no to say yes to the game. In, in alternate reality scenes, you say yes to the world so that we can explore that world together. And that covers all your improvised genres, your improvised movies, improvised musicals, improvised Tennessee Williams, right. Harry Potter, whatever cultural thing you can think of, put the word improvise in front of it. And that covers it. Those also covers all those scenes that we like to call crazy town, where it's like a Western, but all the cowboys are werewolves and the sheriff is a vampire. And then Frankenstein's monster is it like, okay, you know, mapping things on to other things. Just mapping is just basically removing one word, inserting a new word, and treating it like it's the previous word. Right. And, you know, if, yeah, if you and I are in a Viking scene and go, ah, Gligor, pass, pass me that tine stick so I may stab my meat and cut it with my blade. You know I mean fork. Everyone in the world knows I mean fork. But as soon as, but in this reality, we're calling it a tine stick. As soon as someone in the scene or someone in the show calls it a fork again, the suspension of disbelief goes right. away. And that's why you have to be consistent. If we've, if we've established that this is called, in this world, forks are called tine sticks, then we know that we're going to treat tine sticks like forks, because that's the mapping, but then we have to be consistent and always call them tine sticks. Because once you introduce the idea of a fork, then what the hell is the tine stick anymore? And I usually use the example of The Walking Dead. The reason why you never hear anyone say the word zombie in The Walking Dead is because as soon as you, ex as soon as you include the existence of zombies, the mythology of zombies, zombie movies into that world, that show is not nine seasons long. It's nine minutes long. Because someone is freaking out. Going, I don't know what I'm saying. Like, what? You've never seen Night of the Living Dead? Just shoot this guy in the head. Then he dies. All right, we're going to get in this car. We're going to go to the Gulf of Mexico. We're going to live up because zombies can't swim. Uh, the, the, roll credits. <laughs> uh, and then there's realistic scenes, which is being truthful up to including using your own real name and providing specifics and details, preferably from your own life. So you don't have to make it up. A lot of, not to be the guy that quotes Dell that never met him, uh, but a lot of what Dell and then, you know, the compass players and the committee and all those guys were early on going for was realistic scenes. Like, you know, you hear all those stories of Dell going like, God damn it, stop looking for the game. Stop trying to be funny. Be real. Be truthful. And the comedy will come out of that. The Herald is meant to have like three serious scenes and then like spin off of that. But as my good friend Jeff Hawkins says, the worst thing that ever happened to improv is someone who put the word comedy behind it. But realistic <laughs> scenes cover your, uh, your dramatic improv, uh, what, the, what you know, TJ and, and, and Stephanie Weir and the rest of those guys are doing with Stolen House where they're taking over a pre-existing oh, set yeah. from a play. It yeah. is a great form. Uh, and also dramatic, dramatic uh, improv, things like the horror, where it, it's not meant to be funny at all, ever. Uh, and then, like, the opening scenes of the deconstruction. But also, it's just, and then, like, mono scenes, where you see really good duos that go out there and try and have a nice little 20-minute play. And you see them, like, really talking about actual things that happen from their lives. You know, sometimes they might get misty. You know, like, the real tears are coming on stage. Like, that, that sort of dramatic thing. And that's why uh, I love position play, because it immediately takes all the pressure off of you. Instead of being on stage going like, oh, my God, there's two million options. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, I'm in a straight absurd scene. All I have to do is figure out if I'm the straight guy or the absurd guy. And then we just need to find a back off, and we'll just play this game back and forth, and it'll be great. And then anything else I choose to have to do that will be fine will work as long as I don't undo the one thing I have to do to make this type of scene work, the scene types, which is ultimately position play, but also why I love the deconstruction so much because the deconstruction, the way that Miles taught it to me and the way that I teach it is just do one of the four scene types in the order that you're asked to do them and it will work. You start off with a realistic scene followed by two character-driven scenes, another realistic scene, Five straight absurd scenes, another realistic scene, a bunch of alternate reality scenes, and then one last realistic scene. There's your piece. I've never seen it not work. So that is that is position play in a nutshell. Cool. Yeah. So I like the way when you were describing the the character scene, you also referred to them as absurd absurd uh, scenes. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, do you think it's like an do you think it's an oversimplification to think of you know the distinction between realistic character and straight slash absurd scenes? Is that it really just comes down to the, when you're talking about a two-person scene, it just comes down to the idea that, you know, characters, a character can either be absurd, he can either be a, you know, fairly, mostly unrational, per, irrational person, 
or she could be, uh, you know, a, a very grounded straight man, straight woman, uh, mostly rational character. And that, and that the difference between those three are just, those are just the three possible combinations you could have. You could have the two, you know, the two straight characters, the two absurd characters, or, you know, one and one, and that's your straight slash absurd. Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's more along the lines of, like, looking for position. So when someone else starts a scene, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they have something. They have an idea. They also have something they want you to do. Um, and so being open to that and going like, all right, sometimes it's very clear where the person just looks at you and starts with like, dad, please let me borrow the car. It's so important. All the other girls are going to the party. I'm like, I know exactly what you want me to be. I know exactly what you want me to do. I just said that I, you couldn't take the car and go to the party. And then we're doing an alternate reality scene because it's a genre. We're playing that classic, you know, man. Now, if we go, you, yeah, you notice how the way they're like, dad, please. I'm it. But it might be because, again, alternate reality scenes and realistic scenes, I believe, share a common wall. If the if the initiation is her going, I can't believe you're doing this to me, dad. All the other girls get to the, go to the party. I'm going to be I'm not even going to drink. I just can I please just borrow the car this one night. She's telling me she wants me to be her father. But the way she's saying it, how she's saying it, she's telling me my position is this is a realistic scene, right? And then I'm probably going to come back with, if the, if the name of the improviser I'm on stage with in real life is Stacy. And then that moment after she calls me dad, I'm like, I just, I don't know, Stacy. I don't know about these other girls that you're starting to hang out with. I mean, you're starting to do things that you never did before. She knows, okay, cool, he got me. He, he understood what he wanted me, wanted I want to do like a quote unquote serious scene. He called me Stacy, which means that's my real name in real life. So I should probably just lean into that, do more realistic stuff. And I'm saying things that a real dad would say. We people get hung up on position play a lot is with preconceived notions of what they have in their improv vocabulary. So when we say character driven, we mean the scene is driven by these big characters, right? These similar characters. And that's why I always say two peas in the pod or shared a POV or absurd, absurd. So they all, however they learned it, they go, oh, I get it. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, because, yeah, because kind of going back to to that that idea that I was saying where, you know, you just have these two types of characters and, the, and that they're just pairs of them. I always kind of thought of, I always kind of thought of alternate reality as as almost like its own separate distinction where you could have. Whereas, you know, so you can either, the characters, if you have two characters, they can either be straight or absurd. And that then you can have a, the third, the third part would be then the reality, the, the base reality, I guess you could call it. You are. And then that can, that can either be grounded or, un, you know, or alter, or alternative. Yeah, you are, right? and then, you are 100% correct in that. And that's how I teach it. Um, I always say that these are the tools and techniques of the position place, but also here's the big red trap doors. Uh, the red trap door for alternate reality scenes is that they're tricky because they will confuse you. They will because you're allowed to use tools and techniques of the other scene types inside of an alternate reality scene. You and I can be doing an alternate reality scene, but then be doing a straight absurd game inside of it. You and I can be doing a very realistic scene where we're both brothers. Our father has passed away. We were estranged from him. We did not love him. You and I, the actors, are crying real tears on stage. Five minutes from now, we know all of his family. His new family and his and his friends who we've never met are going to come in, and we're going to have to pretend like we loved our father, even though we never did. And that whole scene can be happening, but as soon as you walk over to the window and say, "I got to shut the window," the, uh, the werewolves are really loud tonight. Click, it's an alternate reality scene. But <laughs> right, all right. but werewolves exist in this world. But all the stuff I just said about these two brothers is also true. There, there are big red trap doors for each one of those. A straight absurd, the red trap door is that you're going to think that you're denying your partner. You're going to think you're negating your partner because you're not saying no to your partner. You're saying no to say yes to the game. The game is it like, hey, man, please call me out on my, uh, my crazy behavior here. And you see a lot of people like don't want to do that because they don't want to negate their partner. So they end, up make, they end up saying yes to it, which makes it an alternate reality scene. Character-driven scenes, uh, a lot of times the big red trap door is people think it's boring. They don't trust that these two characters just being this way will be interesting. So they keep thinking like, that's enough of that. Let's do something different. Let's do something different. And then they never really like, imagine if every time Hans and Franz 
came back on uh, Saturday Night Live, that sketch of like, we want to pump you up. What? Imagine if every time that sketch came back, they changed their they changed their mantra, they changed their catchphrase. That'd be confusing. The audience would be like, no, the thing that I liked about it before is that the two guys said, we're here to pump you up, and they clapped in between. That's why I was laughing about it. You just got to trust that what you're doing is going to be enough. Alternate reality scenes, they're tricky. You can use other tools and techniques from the other three scene types in them. And the realistic scenes, people worry that it's going to be boring. That's not going to be funny. They're worried that no one's going to be interested in their life, the, the things that they care about in real life, the things that they're passionate about, the books they're currently reading, their favorite movies, uh, the friendships that they had growing up, the way the parents were. They're like, oh, none of that is, none of that is interesting. I shouldn't be doing any of that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to pretend to be something that I'm not, and then that, that will be funny. And it's not true. The human condition is funny. People, uh, universal themes are funny. Some things that people can empathize and relate to will always be way funnier than a random combination of wacky words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it'll. It, they might be slightly slower, I guess, to get off the ground, but mm-hmm. it can also be just as a more rewarding. Yeah, so I had this, I had this question, but I feel like you've already answered it. Okay. Where, or I was gonna ask, are these? Do the character scenes, you know, being absurd, absurd? Do they inherently have to be peas in a pod or mirroring? And I guess your answer was, was if they're not, then it's an alternative yeah. reality. Yeah, uh, it's a hundred percent. The that's when we we're talking about the tools and techniques that you have to use to execute that type of scene. Yeah, it's a character-driven scene, aka two peas in a pod, aka share point of view, aka absurd, absurd. You have to mirror, and you have to heighten. You don't have the luxury because as soon as you don't do those two things that are required of that scene, it becomes a different type of scene. Paul Valancourt always uses a good example for for alternate reality scenes. I think uh, he has a he has a theory in a book called uh, the triangle of the scene. Uh, and the way that he teaches it is that he goes, uh, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. This is what we're doing together. And he's he and he puts his fingers into a triangle. Right. Those are, that's that's the triangle of the scene. And the way he teaches it is he uses the example of the television show Friends. Chandler and Phoebe going to the DMV to get their license renewed is different than Chandler and Joey going to the DMV and getting their license renewed because of who they are as characters. They are different from each other. They are not mirrors of each other. And then they are in a scenario that the way that only those two characters would react based on the way that they bounce off of each other. So Chandler and Phoebe going to the DMV versus Chandler and Joey going to the DMV versus Joey and Phoebe going to the DMV, right? And then that's why that show is so successful is because those characters are so clearly defined and any combination works and the chemistry of the actors are so great that it's you forget that the situational comedy that is Friends is really a light, a very, very light premise. It's not like Perfect Strangers where it's like a guy, an advertising executive in Chicago finds out he has a long lost cousin from a distant Greek island and he comes and lives with him and then wackiness ensues. Friends is just six people are friends in New York City. You know what I mean? But those characters are so clearly defined to all that. If you don't mirror each other, you're not in a character-driven scene anymore. So, yes, you absolutely have to be two-piece in the pod. Because if not, then I'm different, than you, and you're different from me, and then where we are is the triangle of the scene. And that's an alternate reality scene. Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad you brought up the, the Paul Valancourt and the triangle of the scene. Because I kind of tend to think of, of position play and the triangle of the scene in parallel. Uh, I've kind of tweaked tweaked uh, the the triangle of the mm-hmm. scene to be more position play ish, I guess. Whereas, like, where what I was saying, you know, you you, know, you either have your straight or absurd, and then there's two characters, and then the environment or the base reality, the scenario, you know, whatever you'd call it, and those are your three lines of the triangle, right? And that and that I'm rubbing up against you, you're rubbing up against the environment, I'm rubbing up against the environment. Those are our three angles of the triangle. Yeah. And, th- and then that gives you, you know, those are the three, and I guess maybe those angles are equivalent to the di- to the dynamics, I guess. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, it's interesting that you brought it up, because that's, I've been kind of, in my mind, kind of like amalgamating the the two, or sure. or re, re, reinterpreting triangle of the scene based on on the position play. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like we're all kind of like, if, for when it comes to long-form improv, we're all kind of saying the same stuff. What spoke to me so greatly about position play, and which, which is why I believe in it so much, is that it was the right combination of nouns and verbs for me for the light bulb to go off on my head of like, oh, this is how it works. And then I've added my own stuff to that. Um, 
because people are like, I just know how I don't know how you keep all that stuff in your head when you're on stage and being like open and vulnerable and being present in the moment. I'm like, I don't keep all that stuff in my head. I train and practice off stage in rehearsals and and classroom settings. Uh, even when I teach, I'm still just basically practicing for myself. So when I get on stage, that stuff is so ingrained in me that all it really is is at the top of the scene, I'm just being open and vulnerable. And as soon as something clicks, I go, oh, we're in a straight absurd scene. And that's the last I think about it because the muscle memory is so ingrained. Like I'm a big NBA fan and the idea of an NBA player can go by himself into a gym and put up a thousand jump shots just to get better at it, just to like, you know, feel that muscle memory. Uh, I feel like it's the same way with improv. So when I go on stage, I'm not having, it's not like a beautiful mind or the matrix, you know, with Neo seeing it, like I'm not seeing a bunch of ones and zeros and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I just trust that I've trained in this stuff enough to recognize it. As soon as I do recognize it, I go, ah, the freedom to not worry about anything else. As long as I just find a way to back off at one point in the straight absurd scene and we're great. And that's the thing where it's like, you know, you talk about hit, hit, back off, hit. Uh, it, it becomes more malleable once you become more comfortable with it. Sometimes you're just, both of you are being very, very, very funny. And then it doesn't need as many back offs. It's the same thing in character driven scenes where if like we have a mantra of like, you know, like key and peel like that would be my shit. Sometimes that, yeah, right. sometimes it's, they're saying three lines and then saying that would be my shit. And then another three lines and that would be my shit. Sometimes they say, stuff for two minutes straight before they get to the first that would be my shit it, it just becomes malleable in that way but it just needs to happen so that you're you're executing that type of scene you know what i mean like you have to like most people most people put too much pressure on themselves to try and sort of get it right and i usually liken it to like learning how to drive a car once you, when you're first trying to learn how to drive a car you're like checking the windows and you're like trying to stay inside the lines and for that all that kind of stuff and now you've been driving a car for so long that you kind of just go with the curve of the road you're able to check your windows as you need you're able to like turn on the radio and not have it be distracting to you whereas if you took your driver's test at 15 and someone turned on the radio you'd be like huh what turn it off i can't it's the same it's, yeah it's <laughs> right. the same thing with position play once you just or improv in general honestly you know, once you've, right. yeah, yeah, once yeah. you've done it long enough and it feels sort of comfortable, then you can just kind of go with the flow of the road. Yeah, same thing with like every, you know, even yes and or just, you know, do do some physicality. It's like, you know, when you first start doing it, you have to think of it's a conscious choice. Yeah. But then, you know. I know I have to do a physicality, but also listen to my partner, but also make a character choice for myself, but also say the who, what, where. And make sure if I create a space work table, I don't walk through it. Yeah, it's almost impossible You know, when you're first learning how to do it to keep all that stuff straight. But then after a while, you're like, oh, this is I'm just going to put this coffee, this invisible coffee mug down on this invisible table. And it's just fine. You just know it. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that there are two distinct skills that go into position play, which is like which is there's the playing, playing the game, playing the position. Mm -hmm. But then there's then there's. Recognizing uh, yeah, it? you almost took the words right out of my mouth. That's actually how I teach it. Uh, I say it's just all about recognition and execution. The faster I can recognize what kind of scene I'm in, the faster that I can execute it using the tools and techniques I know those scenes have to have, and then I stop worrying and stop thinking about it. It's recognition and execution. Miles talks about that where he, he says it's inspiration and perception. How you, the improviser, perceive the world or want your characters to perceive the world and then whatever new information comes on stage will inspire your character or you inspire you to respond through your character the way that only you think that character would be. New information will come up and either your character is cool with that or not cool with that. And then you'll make a decision going from there. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely recognition and execution. The faster I can recognize and the faster I can execute. And then a good rule of thumb is Miles gave this to me as well. Uh, three lines or 30 seconds, whichever comes first. If you initiate the scene, I'm going to give you three lines of dialogue. I'm going to give us three exchanges. I'm just going to say yes and say yes because yes and has punctuation in it. It's yes, comma, and ellipses. That punctuation is just as important in the words. Uh, so of yes, yes, ah, I know what you want from me. Okay, now I can comma and now I know how to give you what you want. And then the ellipses is the scene becomes wherever the scene becomes because 
we, the the two of us are the only two people that could be doing this scene right now on stage just because they're we're the only two people on the planet who are like us or 30 seconds if after 30 seconds uh or after that three line exchange or after that 30 seconds i don't know what you want from me fuck it i'm gonna make a bold choice because i'm out here too so let's just do something so if someone's being too shy or too coy which is another reason why i like position plays because there's no room for shy or coy if i have an idea for a game i gotta let you know up top I can't be off in the corner doing space work and thinking to myself, yeah, I'm going to be Santa Claus and you're going to be Mrs. Claus and you're real upset with me because I came home late from, from Christmas Eve and the other, and then you walk in and go, hey, Dave, how's that garden going? I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I should have probably said I was Santa Claus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, provi- yeah, position yeah. play gives you the freedom and the permission to say like, yeah, just turn and call that guy Mrs. Claus. And that you're Santa Claus laid out there. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not rushed to find that. Whereas you find a lot of people that have only been trained in a certain way uh, or believe in a didactic approach to improv, which I do not, even though position plays f- sounds on the surface very didactic, that they are looking for a game no matter what. They do not care. That's the only thing they're going for. And then it becomes a struggle. And that's when you see people like, you know, less experienced improvisers because I don't believe in good or bad improv and I don't believe in good or bad improvisers. There are improvisers and more experienced improvisers. You can't get mad at someone because they only discovered the, the art form two years ago instead of 20 years ago. That's not fair to them. Right. right. But so le- less experienced improvisers will be like, well, I got, I got to get the who, what, where out of the way, R- right away, right away. I'm like, do you though? I don't know if you have to find the who, what, where right away. If the other person comes out and they're just sad. You can just be sad with them for a moment because you're giving them what they want. You're saying that I see that your character is sad and I'm going to be supportive of this. And if they and if they like really lean into me and give me a hug, I'm like, great, that's the choice they wanted to make. Or uh, I'm a supportive person here. I'm the, I'm the friend that this person comes to when they're sad. Or if they're playing sad and I put my hand on their shoulder and they like jerk away their shoulder real quick, ah, I'm the person that this person is sad about. And they don't want my comfort. That's where, you know what I mean? Like, it, a lot of times people tend to intellectualize and feel like they have to verbalize right away. And that's not that's not position play. That's not recognition and execution. I'm recognizing where the sadness is coming from. I'm also recognizing that we don't need to say a lot of words right now to execute this scene. And a lot of improvisers cut off a lot of options for themselves up top because they come out and they feel like they have to have the premise ready to go immediately or otherwise the scene won't be good and that's just not true yeah so one of the questions i was gonna ask is how long does or should it take for you to recognize the, the scene type or the position uh and so so it sounded like you're saying it it should be it should definitely be less than 30 seconds or 30 seconds or yeah, less like, like three lines or 30 seconds i don't know one, one of those two usually one of those things happens and then the, and then something else will happen and it's like oh this is what the scene is great uh i don't know what Go is ahead. What would you say, like, what would you say that the, how long would you say, I know that it, when you're doing it, it's not, it's not a conscious thing, but say, and say you're playing with someone really good, say you're playing with Miles or mm-hmm. something, how long, how many lines in just would you expect that, like, you know, you know what the position is? Like, first line, initiate, like, if you're playing with someone really good, like, you should know right after the initiation, or does it still take, you know... Up to three lines. Oh, um, it, it depends. I would say it's rare that it, something goes longer than three lines, you know. But usually those are realistic scenes, and so uh, realistic right. scenes have a different sort of uh, tone and timbre and pacing to them. The rhythm is a little bit not slower, but like we're we're definitely leaning into the pauses. I've been in scenes, specifically usually realistic scenes. I've been in scenes for up to like three or four minutes before I realized that. Oh, I knew we were in a realistic scene. I knew my position. I knew that we were. I needed to be myself and use stuff from my own real life. But it was probably three or four minutes in before the other character finally looked at me and said, I just don't know why you're leaving me. And if you can tell me one reason, something that I've done, that's the reason why you want a divorce. The reason why you asked me for a divorce, then I'll let you walk out that door. That's the first I'm knowing that. But that's 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 <laughs> right. that's where the perception and inspiration comes from, where it's like, all right, this is the thing that's happening on that. And as long as I don't as long as I don't go, what? <laughs> you know, long as I and these are like little as you've done, if, as you start doing the art form longer, you can learn little tools and tricks like in that moment, 
I just put my head down and put my hands over my face because to the audience, that looks like my character is really devastated by that. What it really is, is me doing that so the audience will see that and then in my mind going, okay, how do I want to respond to that? How do I want to process that? What it looks like Brian James O'Connell thinking on stage looks the exact same as Napoleon thinking on stage uh, if I'm playing Napoleon, <laughs> right. right? Before I move on to the next question, I want to go back to when you were the, you know, the three lines or 30 seconds and just finish up with, so what, do you, what, what are you doing during that 30 seconds, that pre-realization 30 seconds? Are you just like, oh, they're making a sandwich, so we're in a kitchen, all like a... Uh... I guess I'll, I guess I'll tidy up some like because what are you what are you doing that isn't going to like you know end up you know contradicting that's a great question before you know thank you very much because it's something uh, it's a philosophy I've been working on the last couple of years called thing concept idea where uh, I was having I was struggling playing with certain players and without fail those players were all way more talented than me and more experienced they've been doing it longer and I was like okay well this is not a them problem this is a boc problem there's got to be a position play way out of this. And then I real when I finally realized is that it all comes down to initiation. It all comes down to the beginning of the scene. And what does my partner want from me? Or do they want anything at all? And that's the thing concept idea. So when someone initiates, I, to me, that's the only three ways that someone can initiate a scene. You can initiate a thing. That's it. Space work. Like you were just talking about. Like they come out and start chopping vegetables and all that. You see most improvisers first instinct is to come out and like label it right like oh honey it's so great that you're making me these salad for works these days like i sort of relieve myself of the burden of having to do that because that person doesn't have an idea they just have a thing they just came out the, the suggestion was broccoli so they just started chopping vegetables and the other improviser when someone initiates with a thing the other improviser has three options they either can stare at that person and try and figure out what it is and then the other person just sees someone that's staring at them and it usually ends up with a conflict or we jump to conclusions. We try like, oh, honey, I'm so glad you're trying to make a salad for me. Or I can just start mirroring you and I can also be chopping vegetables. And look at that. We're halfway on our way to a character driven scene. We're already mirroring each other. Now we just have to heighten. Or I can just do my own thing. You are well within your rights as the other improviser. If someone starts doing object work, you can just do your own object work. It does not matter. I have done scenes with people where they were starting a chainsaw and I just reached up and pulled a coffee mug out of, out of a, you know, out of a kitchen cabinet. I went, oh man, Janine's using my mug again. And they're like, I told you, man, she's got it out for you. Right. Cause they don't care. It's just a thing. And then there's con. And that is that. Yeah. Does that instantly make that a, an alternate reality scene? It, it Usually it becomes whatever it becomes thing. Um, if it's that, if it's a chainsaw and a coffee mug, sure. If it's you chopping vegetables and then me grabbing a coffee mug, and then you saying like, "Oh, hey, can you um, I I washed some carrots in the sink. Can you hand me those?" Yeah, sure. Uh, hey, is everything okay? You seem uh, you seem like a little tense. Then it's then it's a realistic scene, right? I'm just picking up on the tone right. and the timbre and the sort of the mood of what they're going for. They asked me, "Hey, can you pass me those peeled carrots in the sink? I was ritzling them off." To me, that's very specific and very believable and re very real. So I'm going to say yes to that. And then I'm going to try out with like, hey, are you okay? I'm, I just, it just seem, is everything okay at work? It just seems, you seem very tense lately. And they can come back with, um, yeah, my, bo my boss made a pass at me. Your boss sexually harassed you? No, it wasn't sexually, it was, it was a pass. Then it's a realistic scene. But if I say like, is everything all right? Like, <sighs> I I kind of started a nuclear war today. Oh, honey. Then it's an alternate reality scene. You know what I mean? We're building it line by line in that way. Uh, and then so just real quick, concept and idea. Concept is any move that's bigger than a thing that does not require a specific move from the other player. And that means it's just basically a concept. It's a, a half-formed idea. A lot of times people have a half-idea. Um, they think they only have a half-idea. Really, they just have a concept. They have an environment or they have an emotion. They have an exterior or they have an interior. Pick one because the other one will follow. They just kind of want to be in a planetarium. They really don't care who you play as long as you play someone that would make sense to be in a planetarium. You know what I mean? Right. They really want to do a pirate scene. Yeah. They just want to be like, ah, vast. Like if they're not looking at me and they're just looking out and saying like, I love the open sea. 
It makes me feel good. Arr. And then I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to be someone else. Yes, Captain. Great. He got the fact that I wanted to be on a pirate ship. That was, that was all I had. Sometimes you see people come out and their character is just angry. All they have is angry. They have the emotion of angry. And then I'm just going to say yes to that and say, boy, someone's pretty angry. You're goddamn right I'm angry. The damn eagles didn't cover. I'm like, oh, man, I know. And then we're off to the races. It's anything that's bigger than a thing, but does not. it doesn't require a specific move from me. And then there's idea. Idea is any specific move that requires a specific move from the other player to make that thing happen. Hey, can you hand me that plunger? Thank you. You were closer to the plunger than I was. I needed you to give it to me to, like, if it was just a thing, I would have just had the plunger. I would have picked it up myself. And idea is you can only really start initiating an idea by looking at me. And either telling me who I am, what I'm thinking or feeling, or what I just said and or did. Pick one. Every premise is an idea. Every idea need not be a premise. And if you try and do all three at once, that's a premise. But it's also very rare that, every, that improvisers just have all that stuff ready to go in their back pocket. If I say, what's up, Dan? You've got to be Dan. That's it. You have no idea that I'm like, oh, you were standing like my buddy Dan, like my buddy Dan Reuter, who I haven't talked to in like 11 years. But you have to answer to Dan. And so my thing is that my, my big thing in improv, what I love most, is efficiency and economy. So I'm not any smarter or faster or more funny or more talented than any, any other improviser on the planet. I'm just way more efficient. And when someone initiates and they initiate with a thing, I go, that's just a thing. I don't have to concern myself. I'm like, what does he want from me? Because he doesn't want anything from me. If someone's sad, if they're uh, with a concept, and they're just like, that's a really tall lighthouse. I'm at a lighthouse. That's all I, I just, I have to say yes to that. There is no specific thing they want from me. But if they look me in the eye and they say, uh, Jim, get in my office. I've got to be Jim. I've got to be in the office. And he's most likely my boss because he wants to, he has an idea of doing this office interview scene. I want to talk to you about your TPS reports. That's all it is. I just don't, I, I, I've found a way to relieve myself of the burden of having to answer a bunch of questions that my partner hasn't asked because all they had was a thing or a concept or if they have an idea I just need to say yes to the thing they need me to be so we can play that you know what I mean that's that's kind of how I approach it cool yeah so so uh so say the three the the three levels it's, again yeah it's thing concept idea thing is any uh it's just space work it's pulling a lever shoveling uh you know pulling out a coffee mug Drinking out of a bottle of water, does not matter. It's just a thing. Anything from the wrist down, any object or space work is a thing. If you initiate with a thing, it's just a thing. Uh, the other person is well within their rights to do whatever they want as long as they don't take that thing away from them. Second one is concept, which is exterior or interior, uh, emotion or uh, environment. Pick one, and the other one will follow. Oh, man, smell that sea salt air, huh? You are well within your rights to do whatever you want as the other improviser as long as you agree that we are close enough to see and smell the ocean. If you want to come up with like, oh, first time at the lighthouse, eh? I'd be the lighthouse keeper going on 37 years. I'll be like, that's a great lighthouse keeper. Thank you. But we're still at the lighthouse like I wanted to be. Thank you. And then, you know, I'll follow up with the emotion. Like, oh, first time at the lighthouse. I've been the lighthouse keeper for 37 years. Actually, no, it's not my first time. It's the first time I've been here since my wife passed away. Emotion. Great. Yeah, a lot of times you'll find improvisers looking out into the audience and already choosing emotion, but they haven't chose what they're looking at yet. So they're like, oh, I'm angry, but I don't know what I'm looking at that's supposed to make my character angry. And the other person's like, what are we looking at? Am I also supposed to be angry? But if they look at me, I'm well, I'm well within my rights to do whatever I want in a concept initiation as long as I don't take that thing away from them. And then uh, idea is just if the person looks at me and they either tell me who I am, what I'm thinking or feeling, or what I just said and or did, then I have to be that. Because otherwise... I'm not doing. I'm not giving them what they need to make that idea happen. Ideas initiations are any specific move that requires a specific move from the other player to make that idea happen. Those are the three: thing, concept, idea. So uh, I like that. I like that way of thinking. So do you, do you, is position play more? Does uh, I don't know exactly how to word this, but like it seems more like that's what happens when there's an idea initiation, or like, or like that if if you're playing position play, then you should be initiating with the idea because there is a position you want the other person to that's play. a very that... that's a very good question i would say for me my gut uh, i'm still working out on this stuff but for for my personal experience the only scene in position play which is the straight absurd scene 
That has to be an idea start. I cannot initiate a scene that says, hey, I need you to be the straight man calling out my bullshit right now unless I'm looking at you and telling you, right? Like if, or like in vice versa, like if I come out, I have to, if I want you, here's an example I always use. Uh, whoa, 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 man. Stop fucking a watermelon on my front yard. Right? Right? <laughs> right. I'm looking at you. I'm telling you what you're doing. And I'm letting you know, like, I need you to be the absurd person here because I want to be the straight person because that's my idea. Right? I can start a character-driven scene or an alternate reality scene if I just come out with the concept of me just fucking a watermelon. You know, like if I'm just thrusting my hand, thrusting my <laughs> groin at my hands that are spread about eight inches apart, you can either come out and join me. Now we're in a character-driven scene, or you can come out and be like, um, "Hey, man, this is an elementary school." Yeah. Now we're in a straight absurd scene, or you can come out and be like, "Oh, Johnson, I'm glad you're here." Or, or Thrusty McGee, ah, uh, my old friend. Now we're in an alternate reality scene. It'd be very hard to do a realistic scene <laughs> in that way, but I'm sure someone <laughs> could figure it out somewhere. <laughs> Someone, someone will... A very serious yeah. scene about sex addiction. Yeah, exactly, right? So I think for straight absurd, of the four position play types of scenes, straight absurd is the only one that you have to initiate with an idea, to make a t- with an idea initiation. Uh, thing and concept is very difficult, like the Santa Claus reference I was making. It's very difficult for me to be like doing space work and then not letting you know that I need you to be Mrs. Claus and I want to be Santa Claus and then have that person know it. Like, I can't get mad at you afterwards <laughs> in the green room. You know what I mean? Like, why did you play Mrs. Claus? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you were putting stuff into a bag. I just thought we were cleaning up that trash after a party. And they're not wrong. They're not <laughs> wrong. Um, but, I, right. yeah, I find that uh, character-driven scenes, if like any other position plays, you can use idea starts for all of them because you're telling that person, hey, I want to do this type of scene right now. Whether they are familiar with position play or not, if I come out, I look you in the eye, and I go, oh, man, that's really tough. Get, sit down, man. Let me let me get you a drink. Uh, t- did she say where she was going with the kids? Like, you, it's going to be very hard for you to not play that as a realistic, grounded scene. You're going to recognize, you know, the stakes that are involved there for those characters. But if you decide in that moment to go like, uh, I think she said she was taking him to Neptune or Jupiter. I'm, I'm not really sure. Oh, that's a bummer, man. Now we're in alternate reality scene. I'm just gonna. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm just gonna flip position. I'm not gonna try and drive home. Like, no. I think you mean Jupiter Street or Neptune, Alabama. Like, I'm not gonna do that. But you see, improvisers do that all the time because they're like, no, that this is what I want to do. I just, I'll just flip position because I'm I'm there to take care of the character. I'm there. I'm there to take care of the actor across from me. I'm there to take care of the piece at large. And I'm there to take care of the audience. And the audience can tell when an improviser is pissed off or feels like they didn't get their do their idea. And I don't want to pout on stage. And I want to do it through my character because then it's very uncomfortable. The, the other person feels like they made a good choice, but now you're, like, mad at them. So I'll just flip position. I'm like, whoop, we're in an alternate reality scene now that has a little bit of a realistic undertones to it because we're talking about a wife that uh, jumped him and took his kids and he doesn't know where. It could be a different planet. Oh, we're we're in the type of we're in the future where inter interplanetary uh, travel is a hundred percent possible. We'll just keep going with that. I'll just flip position. So I wouldn't say there's any one right or wrong way to initiate a thing, concept, or idea. You know, there's not a one to one ratio for what kind of initiation you need to do to achieve what type of position play of the four position play scenes. But I will say the hard and fast one that I've uh, is that I've I can't imagine any scenario where you could be consistently successful initiating a straight absurd scene with anything other than an idea start. You got to look the other person in the eye. You got to tell them who you need them to be so you can play this game because it's hit, hit, back off, hit. And I need you to be on board with me. I can discover, we can discover a new game four minutes later, but if I want to initiate a straight absurd scene, I have to initiate with an idea. Yeah, I like. I actually like those two. I like the the thing concept idea and how that kind of ties back to the, what we were saying about the like the thirty seconds, three lines, thirty seconds thing. Mm-hmm. Where like I feel like you, I feel like you can kind of tie those two together for sure. Where it's uh, where well, what I was thinking is it's like they can either give you the idea and then you play your position. If they give you the concept, then you get to choose. 
mm-hmm. what position you're you're going to play. Like you were saying, you could make it an alternate reality. You could make yeah. it a character. And then if they only give you the thing, then you have to make the bold move to give, you know, that they will then respond to with a position. Yeah, I think that, I think that's, that I sense. think that's fair. Yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense because I initiated the way I initiate tells you whether I want something from you or I don't want something from you or I haven't thought of anything. Right, yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. And if I don't want a specific thing from you, feel free, yeah, because that was my choice. All I had was shovel. I've gone so far as to start shoveling in a scene and looking at my partner and just shaking my head going, I got nothing. Feel freed. <laughs> feel free to tell me what I'm... <laughs> right. We, we're, are we shoveling manure on a farm in Wyoming or are we, are we digging a shallow grave by the railroad track? Don't care. Can't care <laughs> because I don't... I, I didn't have an idea. I just had shoveling. For the love of God, please help me. Right? So that, yeah. Right. So they, yeah. So they shouldn't come in with the like, oh God, what position am I supposed yeah. to play? <laughs> and I'll do that sometime too. Like when I, I like, I love sitting in with student jams. I love sitting in with like, you know, lottery shows. Uh, like I love just sort of showing up and randomly and, and doing those kind of things. And without fail, my job there is to sort of like nudge and control and sort of like support and make sure there's a net there. So if someone has like a really like if someone's a very clearly like a very young, very not as experienced veteran player and they're, they've got a lot of passion, a lot of energy and they're coming out with ideas like I'm just going to come out with the ideas. I want to let them get as many ideas as I, on stage so they can get reps so they can get at bats and get better at it. But also there are those people that seem very like who, who may be very sort of like tentative. You know? So I will start a scene with them where it's just like we're just doing a thing. We're just doing space work. And I'll look over them, smile, just get them to smile back. They might be doing their own space work. I might do a very light thing of like, um, you know what? I, wanted to say, I haven't said it in a long time, but like, you're getting really good at that. If anyone ever initiates a, a, a thing with me, I always tell them they're good at it. I always tell them that they're great at it. Oh, man, you're so good at that. I can't believe how great you've gotten at that. There's no way I could be as good as that. Because I hate when so- <laughs> I hate when someone initiates with a thing and the other person tells them they're doing it wrong. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah that's the worst. Like, what, so I mean, what would you, what would you say if someone's just making a sandwich though? Like, you, you know, you make. I guess it, you, you know, you make the best sandwiches. Yeah, like, but that's the thing. I don't even have to label it. Like, everyone's like, when someone initiates. Oh, so just like, oh, you're so you're so good at that. Yeah, when someone initiates with a thing, I don't have to label it. They probably had like they they knew what they were looking at. Uh, I just go like, oh man, you're getting really great at that. And then that person will say, thanks. I just, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm this far away from like the perfect sandwich. Great. They were making sandwiches. Oh yeah. That, that is a good way to like, to draw that out. And then it, cause the, and then if they don't say what it, cause you know, you, you obviously you don't want to do the circling around playing the it game, but it's kind of like if you give them that opportunity and then they don't say what it is. Then you're probably like, okay, they also don't know what it is. I guess I should probably, yeah. maybe, maybe I should label it. Three lines or 30 seconds, whichever comes first. If you did not. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, if that person, like, you're getting really, thanks. I feel like I'm getting close to it. Great, boom. A couple more exchanges and they don't say anything. I tend to go to the, the darker side of humor. So I'll be like, is this, um, I, I can't, I haven't seen you around here before. Do you usually bury your bodies in this part of the woods? Right. and then we're just right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah right i took a i took a uh a workshop with rosowski and that was like a whole thing like th- the exercise was basically like you play the it game for about a minute you know where you're purposely not but and then you you know the whole point is to then label it oh yeah for sure uh you know as, as like as, as something that's totally unexpected yeah which is i feel like is always a good way to save mm-hmm. <laughs> save those those type of situations so I had one last question, but I feel like we almost kind of answered sure. it, which was, I was going to just ask, like, if there, if you think that there's, what, what I have, what I have on my, on my piece of paper here is just premise versus organic, but I don't mean like, what do you prefer doing more? I meant in, 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 uh, like in position play, you know, in terms of position play, is it easier, is it easier to find or initiate a position, you know, when it's premise versus organic, but I feel like that's basically exactly what we were talking about with the with the thing uh, concept idea because it's just like well obviously if it's if someone just told a monologue you should probably come in with an idea and then you're gonna know the position right here's away. a great thing about position play of many many things one of the many many things that i think are great about position play is that the whole concept of uh, the whole the whole argument 
or the whole uh, <clears throat> conversation, let's say that. I didn't want something that sounded too negative or too combative uh, because that's not how I like it in my improv. Um, I would rather kill myself on stage than have an argument with you. I'd rather have you do two minutes. I'd rather you do a two-minute scene with my corpse <laughs> than, being a comp- than being an argument scene. I just can't. It's it's so inefficient. Yeah. It's so un- It's so uneconomical. So I don't have – when we talk about the conversation of premise versus organic – I do not have to make that choice with position play. Position play allows me to enjoy both of those approaches because there are very, you know, there are very different types of people. There are the type of people like I love Jill Bernard to death, but Jill and I could not be more diametrically opposed because <laughs> her whole thing is like everything is a gift. And that's the one thing, thing about improv. And I'm like, yeah. You can drive a car with your feet. It does not make it a good idea. I like the things that are handy and practical. Uh, also, I would never tell a student who'd been doing it for two years, and I've been doing it for almost 15, that everything is a gift. Because they're like, oh, what do I do? They need to learn like the stuff to do. They need to like learn some of the tips and tricks. They need to, they need to find out where the, the trap doors are. Not their mistakes, not their fault, just the trap doors so they know to sidestep around them. And then they can be truly open. You know, Rosowski has a whole, like, great philosophy he gave me that I won't go into right now. Uh, but he was like, it's called the five-year rule. Like, every five years, there's a new movement for what you need to do for, uh, for a, new, a new revelation for an improviser. But premise versus organic, I can give you an example of every single one of the position play type scenes that would work being approached either as premise is more important or... I can show you this example of position play scene where we came to the scene organically. I can come to a realistic scene organically, but I can also come to a straight absurd scene organically. If it's just two of us who are playing strangers and we're at a cocktail party and we don't know each other, but we don't know anybody else. And so we're just kind of like, hey, it's uh, hey, the guacamole is really good if you haven't tried it yet. Oh, I did. I did. Um, so how do you know Sarah? Uh, I actually I don't. My wife works with her and my wife. Uh. My wife is dropping off our dog uh, at our friend's house so she can dog sit it. And then she's meeting me here. So I, I, I actually, these are all, these are all my wife's friends. I don't really know anybody. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to love everyone here. Like I used to work with Sarah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Hey man, have you ever thought about like how much bullshit the Jews are getting away with? You're like, whoa, <laughs> where the fuck? Whoa, what, what are that? What happened there? And then we're in a straight absurd scene. Did we get to that organically? A hundred percent. Did I have that premise in my back pocket from the second I said, hey, do you want to try out the guacamole? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe just about three lines, 30 seconds in, I felt like, oh, you know what? The way he's playing this character right now is super sweet and innocent. I'm going to take advantage of it. So whether it's premise or organic, I know how to get to any one of the four position play scenes whenever I have to, whenever I need to. And again, and and how to flip out of them just because I'm, I'm just experienced in this uh, – particular approach to the work that miles invented and he is my mentor i'm known as miles jr i make no bones <laughs> all right yeah i think that's a great place to uh, wrap Excellent, it up man thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it oh hello there tis i the Beatles. you might know me from hits such as band on the run imagine my sweet lord and that song about an octopus-coloured submarine. I just wanted to let you know that when I'm not spending half of my time being dead, I'm spending my time listening to the Improv London podcast. If you found the in-depth character analysis of movies such as Help! I'm Stuck in an Octopus's Garden! And A Hard Day's Night at Michelle My Bells! You'll love Stuart Moses' conversation with some of London and Afar's most interesting improvisers. And remember... All you need is improv.